So I recently had a, a, a difficult realization. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure people are almost tired of hearing about this from me for now, but this is half my life right now. <laughs> Anyways, is um, so I've, when I started my PhD, I submitted a proposal to look at the notion of sacrament and how it influences Rathsinger's notion of the human person, his theological anthropology. Yeah, sounds great. And this was this is what I was working towards. This is what I was um, aiming towards. But then, a couple, I, I was start these little questions started to pop up as I was investigating this, and then about a year and a half ago like the floodgates opened about a deeper question in Ratzinger that I didn't really realize initially. But it, it implies anthropology, but it didn't necessarily uh, go into it. And I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with my thesis advisor, and we're just talking about, because I'm talking about, like, the, he has this phrase. He says that the, the biggest crisis we're facing today is the relationship of, is the mediation of history in the realm of ontology. That's the phrase big phrase big question and it's becoming more and more the hot question in theology yeah. right now so I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm cutting edge right now even though it was a hot question 50 years ago too yeah. um, <laughs> and a whole bunch of stuff behind this um, and so I was like okay I think that's the question to look at anthropology through and to get and, it, and sacrament kind of fixes this and everything like that um, um, anyways so I'm dealing with the problem of the the question of how change and substance relate to each other essentially in him and he thinks this is a very big question mm-hmm. and I think he's right so we're talking and my thesis advisor just kind of says this throwaway line he says I think you might need to change your title of your thesis now I'm like oh okay yeah I mean like actually I, I hear you I, I was thinking the same thing and I just didn't say much of it and then I, I came to a realization last night mm-hmm. it was a very hard thing to come to but I was thinking about this on a drive home from visiting a priest friend um that I think I need to nix the anthropology stuff altogether. Mm. It was a very hard pill to swallow because it was something I was really excited about. I think it's actually a really important topic. And in many ways, it's like implied in all these other things I'm talking about. Sure. But the history and being question is, is, is what's been really grabbing my attention. Even from the beginning, I'm looking back. I'm just noticing these themes popping up in my notes. It's just there all the time. And it's just becoming deeper and deeper. And it's actually really... It's really red pilling me into Vatican II all the more. Like I'm like, <laughs> holy smokes, people do not realize how important the council is. I'll do an, I'll do another episode on that one. Good. Um, like Dignitatis Humanae mm-hmm. is friggin' amazing, and I blame J- John Courtney Murray for ruining it for us. Mm. But that's a whole other thing. Anyways, uh, <laughs> um, that's you know when you're I hear this often from doctoral students that you you should go through this where you have to, you realize that. You have to go through the painful process of excising something from your thesis mm. research. Um, it's a bit of a purifying action, but it's necessary because you realize if I, I'm biting off more than I can chew and the thesis will not be a cohesive whole otherwise. And so we're still going to talk about sacrament We're going because it's, kind of it's kind of the mediation stuff, if you will, right. uh, between history and being. And uh, it's what lifts up history into God's eternity, which is the true standard and source of things, um, and which keeps it gives the particular its enduring value. Um, but that was very painful, to be honest, because I was really looking forward to doing some stuff on his anthropology. And anthropology is just such a vital thing, especially around like stuff like because I was originally, I mean, I was really going to originally go into stuff around like what does it mean to be male and female in him and everything like that. That got cut out like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so now I'm, which is, but it's good because now I'm like, I feel like I can actually write quite easily because I have enough space to do what I need to do now. Mm-hmm. That's still tough. That was still tough. You know what I'm thinking as you tell what? me this saga? Yes. Unless a grain of wheat shall fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a single grain with no life. I have never heard, I mean, I've heard that passage. You, I've oh, never you heard, heard that, that song. That's song. a real popular no. one in the States. Oh, okay, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. But uh, wow, letting letting something die so that there can be more life. It's beautiful. Wow. One, one more little thing, yeah. just a little uh, is so currently right now on my desk sits 19 marriage files. Why? Uh, annulments mm-hmm. that I'm helping get started or at various stages of getting going or interviews that I'm helping do. Uh, Senatios and you know healing at the roots where we recognize the vows when they are exchanged even though they may have lacked form lack of forms I got one Pauline privilege and I've got four weddings uh, over the next year or so that I've got to get ready for wow. and it's just like and I've had well and a lot of them are coming from baptism requests uh. because I'm getting I put on I do this on purpose on my baptismal form mm-hmm. Which is where were you married? Yeah, <laughs> and they and a the lot right now it's civil. Yeah, so when that happens, I sit down with the couple and say, "So, hey, how's it going? I can't force this on you, but are you open to having your marriage recognized in the church?" That's all. That's, that's all I need. Yeah, as long as I hear yes, then I'm fine. I'll baptize your child. We can work on that stuff as we go along, hopefully. And if you don't, um, well, then that's just the way it is, I guess. But um, um, and it's just it's weird it's like i don't know why and and part of it is you know maybe um some things were not addressed in previous administrations of the parish sure let's say so it's just kind of insane like i had to go in my notebook i have like five pages of notes of different cases and where they're at and and what needs to be done still and what do i need to and what do i need to still communicate to people what paperwork still needs to be so much paperwork yeah yeah so much paperwork yeah and so i'm like this is why it's hard to meet with people folks because it's actually really good pastoral work and i know my head around marriage law decently well although listening to last week's pillar i don't know if you've listened to it yet um were they going through Donald Trump's marriage situation just as a little fun exercise? Yes. <clears throat> they said something I need to I need to reach out to them about because I, I, I was like, I was never, this is not what I've learned mm. <laughs> around lack of form. Because I have one case that's really unique. I'm not going to go into the details, but um, they were making it sound that if the, if a Catholic got married outside the church and, it was, and it, even though it was not judged lack of form, mm-hmm. it's still presumed invalid and not valid. Which means that when they enter into consent in a Catholic setting, it's valid, mm-hmm. even if it's not. Even if it's maybe it's illicit. I didn't go into this part. Maybe it's illicit. So I got to reach out to them on that one because I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm not a canon lawyer in that sense. I just work in a lot of marriage cases. But and I think I might be getting like four or five more cases over the next while I'm away because I have more people reaching out of stuff. So <laughs> lots of lots of. This is where I wish I had a deacon who was like decent with who had a good canon law head. I could just say, do all this. Yes, <laughs> please, <laughs> please, pretty please. Please do this. So lots of paperwork. Like, do you do a lot of you do you do a lot of weddings? That's mostly where you're doing your marriage paperwork, right? A lot of weddings. I've got a couple of validations um, in the works as well. Um, uh, yeah, we, we we have like 45 weddings a year at my place. Um, now wow. it's only two of us. So right. 
That's a lot of weddings. It's a lot of weddings. Well, we have a really nice church, um, and it's a big parish. So it's like a destination. Uh, well, we've we've kind of uh, we've limited stuff because we've had to. So now, like the limit's going to be forty five. So we're not going to take more than that. Uh, we've limited mm-hmm. the times. You have to have a connection to the parish um, right. to be married there. So we're doing some stuff to limit stuff. But it's still, I mean, it's you know, fifteen thousand yeah. people or whatever. It's a lot of people. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's a lot of people. Are you? Does that include convalidations or is that separate? Uh, let's see. Because no, convalidations separate, separate. are essentially yeah, yeah it's convalidation essentially a marriage right yeah exactly exactly so <laughs> it's just a fancy it's just a different word we use for it yeah because they're in a regular situation yeah I usually don't yeah as far as it'd be formal weddings but they're all weddings but yeah no so it's definitely with validations it's it's more wow yeah that's a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. but it's I've learned it's kind of important actually oh it definitely is I still have questions around like the church's laws around marriage right now oh yeah the, the way church the world just is totally made stuff up about marriage so she did but you know in the end i'm obedient <laughs> to the church and i just do what she asks absolutely me. It's, just, it's hard it's just hard to it's hard to communicate because people see law as just made up mm-hmm. like i'm 50 50 on canonical form ed has made me go 60 percent canonical form where you have to be married in front of a priest, deacon, bishop, or a church representative if there's none of those available with two witnesses yeah. in a church. If not, it's not valid. It's not valid. But Which is crazy uh, to me, but... Well, it, it is a bit crazy to me, too, because like you can still... Because here's the thing, though, but you can do a senatio on a civil marriage vow. I don't know how that works. Thus, this is a mystery. And So this is my... But I also see the importance of canonical form because it expresses in a symbolic way what the marriage is. Yeah. It's also a protection at least for, for the, a sacra- yeah. for sacramental marriage. At and least. It's also a protection for the couple so that some dude can't swindle you out of your innocence saying that you got married when you didn't. It's all right. part of that as well, historically yeah. speaking. Yeah. The husband can't can't dismiss the wife because mm-hmm. he didn't bear her a son. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it it's is all Yeah. There's a lot of paperwork. Well, you know, speaking of paperwork, welcome to Clearly Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. Um, I have no idea what that kind was, of transition yeah, that this is. Bad, bad. That was bad weird. Transition that was really bad. Anyways, yes. It kind of, a, yeah, a bit of an embarrassment. But you kind of uh, touched on uh, what's been going on in my life. I'm starting to feel the pinch of losing one of our priests. Um, it's uh, the difficult thing right now. So we're able to get help on the weekends and occasionally help um, during the weekdays. And we're trying some stuff out. We have some ideas to figure out what mm-hmm. we're going to do in the future. So all that's in flux. But uh, where I'm really feeling it is like this week we have uh, three funerals. And that right. was, uh, you know, two masses a day and everything else. And it's like, uh, I've got to, and this is a slippery slope and don't yell at me. I have to come back early for my day off so that I can go to the funeral home. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. no one's going to be able to go. Uh, so right. we got to starting to feel it starting to get a little bit worried about that kind of stuff uh and you have three churches in your parish two churches two churches okay so yeah that's that how part's people, nice how many people how many how many people show up to your weekday masses your two weekday masses each mass i couldn't tell you roughly uh well okay like, at the one place it's like 200 150 per mass? at the two masses at the one place then like 300 at another place and for then weekday like masses? 400 a oh, weekday masses yeah weekday oh yeah like 60 uh 70 for each church uh-huh can't you just have one? Oh, absolutely so then 
then just do it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I know you're not pastor. You don't really have any ability to change it. That, yeah. No, we're, it, I mean, this is still, we're still talking about all this. We're yeah. trying to cause yeah, the least amount of pain as possible. Yeah. I, I, I get it. Like, well, like I have, we, there's, uh, the, there's two parishes where I'm at and there is another priest at the other parish. Like we, but like we have parishes without priests mm-hmm. <laughs> with active people and everything. Yeah. We have a few retirement priests, but this is the problem. The retirement priests are all being taken. The few that we have are being taken to replace at the parishes that don't have a priest at all. Yeah. And so now it's getting hard for the priests who are pastors to get priests to come in and replace for, for holidays yeah. or something like that. But, um, when I plan to have a little chit chat with the bish. Mm. And when, when, because the guy here is going to retire in uh, next year, he's not in our diocese. He's a religious priest, and they're going to send another. From what I hear, they're going to send another guy to replace him, probably. Um, so then, I want to say to the bishop, like we're ten minutes apart. Yeah, <laughs> these two churches. Why don't we? Why don't we set up our schedules in such a way for these two parishes that? We have our, you know, we don't have, we have one couple weekday masses at one parish, a couple at the other. Uh, you set up our mass schedule times on the weekend in such a way that there's two on a Saturday night, three on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then, but you keep to your spaces. But then if one of us has to be away for whatever reason, yeah, you can cover we just simply step in for the other guy instead of having to double up things. Because I get like 20, 25 people to weekday mass. I don't get a ton. Yeah. Right. And he, I think they get about the same at the other one. So like why why like let's let's actually work together and then like it can free me up to maybe do more tasks and stuff on like a couple of days of the week i can go down to victoria or something like that you know like there's all sorts of things yeah, right? like, good. we gotta start we gotta start thinking inventive about this stuff yeah um and we're still hesitant to do that because yeah. it's not as desperate right now you know it, we yeah. have the illusion we have 18 active priests we're desperate we have the illusion <laughs> of normalcy uh right now uh but that's all it's all part of it so it's just very interesting. Fifteen thousand um, families. Holy not families, works. people, or people. Sorry, but like how many people come on a weekend? How many people come on a weekend? Oh, uh, I don't know. Roughly, I was trying to like count. A couple like thousand. At least a thousand. At least a thousand. At least uh, more than that, probably. I have no idea. I should know yeah. numbers stuff. That's the one thing I never. That's just that, that's at. a very high re- registered. That's a very high registration. A very low practicing ratio. That's pretty normal. Is it? Mm-hmm. We we're we're about. We're at about eighty percent of practicing of what our registrations are, hmm. but I also went in and cleared up our database. Yeah. So yeah, don't don't take Sorry. my yeah. my numbers for gospel. Or anything. Sorry. The yes, point yeah, is, yeah. things are going to get interesting for Father Anthony. Yes. Uh, Sorry, I'm just trying to say, hey, I can help you think about this stuff because we've already had to go through this. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, um, so we'll yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So. Oh man, that's. But you you have way more funerals and weddings than I do. Yeah, we have a ton of those. And probably baptisms. Do you have deacons? We do. We have two deacons, and uh, do they do we baptisms keep them and stuff like too. that. Yeah, they do a lot of baptisms for you guys. Yep, yep. We we rotate so, um, and they will preach for us occasionally. They're great. Our, I, I'm I'm a big fan of our two deacons. They're they're really good. Oh, nice. They're really helpful. They, nice. And you have a good pastor who yes. works. You work. You work with each other. Absolutely. And listen to each other, and so that's really, really important and vital. Yeah. So it's funny because like I'm not like personally stressed. Like it's a difficult situation, but I've got the best people. I'm working with the best people in a difficult situation, which makes it easier. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Right. Cool. Well, speaking of pastoral emergencies, there are. As we know, pastoral theology, mm-hmm. pa- being pastoral, yeah. is united to being theological. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. And so when you have pastoral emergencies, you therefore have theological emergencies. Mm-hmm. So let's go hear some. 
Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hi, fathers. My name is Victoria. I'm from Kansas. Uh, my question is, if we say that the Mass is the earthly participation in the heavenly liturgy, um, what about the people in purgatory? Are they also participating in this liturgy uh, by nature of being in purgatory, by nature of us praying for them while we're at Mass? Um, how's that work for them? Or are they just kind of left out? Thanks. Bye. Well, Victoria, if that's your real name, because we all know that that's the name of a queen and a city and my diocese, so you clearly stole that from the diocese I'm in. This is just facts, yes. right? Um, but, uh, and from Kansas, sounds a lot like Canada. Just saying. Kansas. 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 Cannabis. Cannabis? Uh-oh. No. We, we, no. no. Anyway. Anyways. So, it's a good question. Um, I would say that they have to be participating in it some way. Uh, I don't think there's been a lot of theological reflection on this question, so I'm just going to kind of spitball it here a bit personally, but they have to, because if they're not, then you're in hell. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right? And here's the thing. like We offer up masses for people all the time. The mass is offered for the whole church. Um, and so those who are in purgatory are kind of on the way. They're not the fully redeemed yet. And, and, and I mean... I want to say, like, I, this is like where I'm getting super speculative for a second, yeah, but I'm wondering if there's a way, because the final resurrection hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. if there's a way that even the mass is offered for those in heaven in a way. Interesting. Well, actually, actually, yes, actually, it has to be even for those in heaven because atonement has to also go hand in hand with glorification. Hmm. You can't have one without the other. That's John's gospel, yeah. right? It, the sacrifice is also a glo- it's also the glory of the Father. Um, so the heavenly body is being glorified, and the oh, yeah. heavenly yeah, body yeah, yeah, participates yeah. in the body of Christ yes. in its full sense. And so it's being it's offering itself in that too. So it may not be effective for those in heaven in the sense of being saved because they're there, but it's effective in their work of glorifying the Father and yes. the Son through yes, the Holy that Spirit. Makes sense. Uh, so I think it's actually a work of the whole church because it's the one body. Hmm. So really the only ones who can't be there would have to be those in hell who are disassociated from the body. Um, and so for those in purgatory, what it is though, it's not a, it's not a participant, like it's not something participatory in a chosen way, mm-hmm. but it's participatory in a purgative way that it's that offering and glorification of the son that purifies the whole church as needed to be able to glorify with him. Um, and so those in purgatory need that. And we offer up what we can here on earth for them. And the saints in heaven, I would argue, offer up for them as well in that sense. Through And it's just because it's this one church. It's this one action. And so we have, so yeah, I think, yes. Yes, they're yes. there in some, they're not, they're not offering the way we can offer. Right. Because they can't. But they're, they can't because they can't justify themselves. But they can receive. They can receive. So um, there's an interesting piece of uh, liturgical art in my cathedral, and it used to be a statue. It used to be on one of the side altars. It, the statue was removed 
to place a tabernacle there when uh, after the reforms and they moved the tabernacle from the center off to the side. Anyway, so now it's kind of downstairs. But this is the statue that used to be on a side altar. And it's a statue of a soul being freed from purgatory. And you see some fire and some people on the uh, at, at this soul's feet. And the soul's rising up and almost casting a blanket off herself. And mm-hmm. that would have been put over an altar. So the, the idea that they're receiving was built into the very liturgical architecture of the church. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they're definitely participating in a way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 All right. Which one do you want? Oh, this is this is silly. Hello, this is Joel in Cleveland, Ohio. And my question is, if the tooth fairy was real, would she or he be a demon? Thank you. And I'll hang up and listen. So, uh, Joel from Cleveland, if it is your real name, uh, I appreciate that you pretend that this is a live call-in show. I respect that format. Uh, but this is this is an interesting question. So, let's just say a tooth fairy exists. What entity is a tooth fairy? So, right. it's either some sort of physical creature, or it's an angel, or it's a demon. It's accepting an offering of children's teeth. That strikes me as demonic, right? And it's giving mammon in return. It's giving mammon in return for the bones <laughs> of children. That sounds pretty demonic if you think about it. <laughs> but what if it? What if it is? What if it would? But how can it collect teeth if it's a pure spirit? Um, well, you know, um, that's a good question. Um, spirits can have effects in the physical world. We see this with both okay. uh, hauntings and apparitions. Um, so making something move would be possible. Um, it couldn't take it to another realm. It can't like, (laughs) so maybe that's where it happens to all them. That's a good point. Maybe it just hides them in the house. Hmm. Then you see, I'm of the opinion. Well, it's okay, but you could maybe take a more Augustinian view of like even spiritual mat. There's even like spiritual matter. Mm -hmm. Um, you could go that route. So then you have more of a Ghostbusters reality sure. of, of, of these demons where they can more physically interact with reality. Um, or they could be a creature. Like what if fairies are real? Yeah. This is the, this is the other thing. What if fairies are real? And what if, what if um, they are taking the teeth um and no, I can't think of anything. You're right; they're demons. <laughs> <laughs> the fairies are taking the bones of children and uh, returning money in return. That's that's definitely. Demonic. I mean, uh, listen, yeah. my my stuff on fairy stories is not super deep, mm-hmm. but if I'm underst- if I remember things right, like fairies were never very pleasant creatures in older like medieval myths and sure. stuff like this. But, you know, it's actually the idea of mystical creatures uh, very much a part of humanity for for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if it, the fairy is a mm-hmm. creature in the sense of a physical, yeah. in the sense of a physical creature yeah. made of matter, um, does that fairy have a rational soul? Right. Or is it working off instincts? And mm-hmm. what nationality? I think fairies are German, aren't they? 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you're taking you're taking bones and stuff. This sounds like a very German thing to do. Yeah, for taking some bones and like, yeah, I think so. Um, hmm. But all th- I mean, we gotta go demon. I think it's a demon. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. I'd have to maybe like read more stuff by Tolkien and stuff on fairies and stuff sure. like this to get a better informed opinion. But right now, I'm I'm on the demon side too. Yep. And so, neither he or she. Right. And it, and us, mm-hmm. and us, if you will. Because this is the thing. Use the right pronouns de- for demons. That's <laughs> right. Um, and it has to be a demon, really, too, because it's not, if it's in us, it allows itself to be not just in one place mm-hmm. and thus is able to take the teeth of children from all over the world. Right. Can interact in different, yes. If it's just one tooth fairy, how does it take that many teeth around the world every day? Mm-hmm. An army of Defi- demons taking children's teeth. Yes. Wow, this I is hope horrifying. No ki- I, I hope no kids are... This would make a great horror we movie. Should have totally... <laughs> the Tooth Fairy. Oh, my goodness. There's... But, oh, I... Uh, we uh, may have ruined this for some kids. I know. I hope no kids are listening right now. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe, 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 maybe Nick will put in a nice little... Uh, a nice little bump... A little warning for the parents. For the parents who like lie that. to their children. That's right. Amen. <laughs> well, speaking of... Nah, I've got no choices. Let's go to presbyteral exhortations. That's good. Sometimes you just gotta give gotta up go on the transition. Just, just, just do it. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn. Oh, it's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes, I don't know where this need for transition comes from. It's like, why? What's the point? I think maybe it's from listening to Subbeacon sometimes. Definitely that. That that's definitely that. And, it, so. and when you get a good transition, it feels you feel the sense of accomplishment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh no. When the when the right transition hits, it's it's. Yeah. It's but not, we, we all can't be Victorina Mattis. It's true. Um. So apparently, I hurt you this week. You did. Yeah. Why? How did I hurt you? Well, you know, uh, uh, you know, we 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 text. Uh, we've yeah. got also a group text of uh, the clerically speaking team. Yeah. And uh, producer Indiana is too young for for typing right now. She is, but she sometimes makes an appearance anyway. You said, "Hey, can you watch this video? It'll take ten <laughs> minutes." Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly painful ten minutes. Right. I got so angry watching this thing. Yeah. But it's important because this is this brings us back to the very beginning, Father Harrison. Yes. And so are we at the end? No, don't worry. We're not at the end. Don't worry. But don't want to freak people out. This is kind of a full circle moment. It the is a full circle moment. The man who really started, clerically speaking, the man for which this is well, responsible for all our episodes. Yes. And really, this is, this is the thing. I'm just repaying the favor because... This all started because of you. It did. I was the one who wanted said, to hey, talk about him. We should do. We should talk about this. So I had to suffer the pain of it with you. Mm. And now, so it's just full, again. You're right. It's all this has happened before. All this will happen again. Mm-hmm. The 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 circle is complete. Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, Jordan Peterson put out a video. Uh, uh, I'm going to pull up my little thread on this here. A message to the Christian churches um, on about a week ago so we're recording on the 19th so about july 12th somewhere around there 
I actually found out afterwards. He also uh, did a, a letter or a message to the Muslims as well. Oh, he's... And interestingly, it got like twice the views that the Christian churches one did, hmm. which is very interesting to me too. Um, so I want to talk about this. because, And then, uh, um, so before I do though, I, I'm not going to share his name because he'll kill me if I do. But a priest friend and I, were, he, he, he encouraged me to talk to him about this before we do the episode because mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure I wasn't being excessively critical he he has some sympathies to some of the stuff peterson's trying but he also holds criticisms too he just wanted to make sure i wasn't being um un, uh, unfairly critical okay i'll be unfairly critical then yeah yeah, you can do whatever you want. You didn't have to have dinner with him. Uh, oh, no. Don't hurt uh, Jordan Peterson's feelings. No, no, no. And all the but little it was a helpful like conversation. Watches YouTube and videos. Actually he shared, and then he shared with me a video that was just released on yesterday on the 18th from Peterson. That I was actually, honestly, it was actually a lot better. Um, his tone was better first. And it was a conversation about his experience of going to church um, in the last couple of years and stuff. And how he had an aversion to it at first. And now he's seeing this more as more as necessary how churches really need to emphasize their foundation, which is around the mysterious element stuff of it all and the supernatural element and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, interesting. Because you don't get that from the video at all. Um, and, and so I was like, I was like, actually, if, if that had trended, I would have been more open than what this one did. But I want to talk about this because um, before we do, I need to talk about how he's being received in general. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, and I... I have to criticize Bishop Barron on this point as well. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this because like I, I've encountered it through Twitter, etc. A lot of people saying, oh, this is great. This video is great. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, let's let's be critical here. Let's ask questions. Let's, let's take the good. And there's always good stuff, even if it's twisted. But a lot of reasons Catholics are listening to Peterson or, or at least have given themselves the green light for Peterson is because Bishop Barron has been prominently promoting uh, Peter. They published a book engaging with Peterson's thought. They've had him on his sh- Barron shows. Barron's been on his podcast, etc. And I realized the problem because like Barron's a smart guy. Correct. Right. Um, but looking back and, and I don't know if it's a generational thing still or if it's him just being how he does things publicly sometimes. I realized the issue with his engagement with Peterson it lacked criticism. Mm-hmm. So what does that do for the Catholic watching? It A says, well, Barron says it's fine. Barron's a smart guy. I trust him. Okay, fine. God bless you. <laughs> Good. Yeah, fine. Not a, not a bad thing per se. But then they were trained to think, well, Barron didn't criticize. Therefore, I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Barron would hold carte blanche everything that Peterson says. No, certainly not. I, I don't think so. I can't speak for him, but I think that was that was that's been a problem in the Catholic circle of things. So people are like, "Look, he's talking about these core Christian ideas." And I'm like, "But they're they're not. They're not. They're not." Um, and then see, well, then then I get the other reaction of, "Well, you can't expect him to have Christian ideas because he's not a Christian." Oh, I said, "Okay," but they're like, "But the natural law stuff is a lot of similar stuff." I'm like, no, you don't understand that either then we got no sorry i heard this from a lot in the last couple weeks from phone calls and texts and stuff from people too so like it's like okay um because i actually in one sense i can't he's not a christian so i recognize i can't impose christian 
the Christian idea, if you will, on him in that sense. But at the same time, every all the questions he's asking around meaning, what does it mean to be human? Uh, even a lot of his psychology stuff is not possible without the implied Christian tradition in itself. Correct. And it, and actually what's been interesting, that other video, uh, like why go to church, I think it was called, uh, or you should go to church or something like that is what it was called. Um, there he talks about how, I was actually appreciative of this, that he actually recognized that the entire Western patrimony is due to Christianity now. Mm-hmm. Everything, what it means to be West is to be Christian. And a lot of these even quote unquote secular ideas around dignity of, of the person, um, rights, etc., found their, find their foundation in Christianity itself. And so if you, if you want to reject Christianity, you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And so for him, he sees Christianity as vital to this Western ideal in his head. And, and, and just, sorry, one, just one quick thing with that. Just, I'll finish up my thought here. So, but I also can, ex- so this is why I can actually expect him to know something about Christianity because he's engaged with scripture a lot. He has engaged um, with other Christians and Catholics sufficiently. Uh, and um, in the end, the truth has to purify and you have to be open to letting the truth purify you and to shed its light on you. And I don't, he's not been willing to make that step. Um, so I actually can't expect that of him. I both can't, but I can, because also just a lot of every, every, his, his whole ability to do what he's doing wouldn't be possible without Christianity because the implied meanings of things like the desire for meaning is a Christian notion. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> it's is a Christian notion. And that's his big, that's one of his big things. So I say that as all of a preamble because um, some of me, wants to throw him out sometimes because not necessarily always because of him, but because of how he's received and everyone just thinks that he's just right about everything and that he's proclaiming a Christian message. And I like, so I have problems sometimes with how he's received by his followers, but I also have some issues obviously with his ideas. I I know. And I, here's the thing. I want to try to do my best to be cool and critical, but not like reactionary critical, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, because I don't think, I am doing anyone justice if I just throw him out in totality, even if I vastly and strongly disagree with him. I'm being dis- intellectually dishonest otherwise. I have to always search for the, the nuggets of truth sometimes too still. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not sufficiently listening to someone. Is that, is that we good? That all makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I don't want yes. to jump ahead, but some of the stuff you said made me have thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is the big problem. Uh, you mentioned how he recognizes that um, Western civilization is based or comes out of Christianity or Christian culture. His problem is that Christianity becomes a means to an end. Yes. And he also refuses to acknowledge Christianity on its own terms. Yes. And that's an incredibly disrespectful thing to do. Um, right. Uh, and that's what struck me about the actual video that he made uh, was that he redefined what our faith should be. Right. And there's another thing that's, and this is why so many people are, the waters are very muddy culturally right now. And yeah. so very often in conservative circles, you will hear the term Judeo-Christian values. Mm-hmm. And 
which I I've grown to strongly dislike. Right, because actually they mean enlightenment values. They mean enlightenment values. They don't actually mean Judeo or Christian values. And so it's kind of putting a religious sheen on a more secular notion. Um, yes. It's, it, We're playing by, by liberalism's terms. Right. Um, it, it's in a similar way where um, way back when, when um, the whole debate around um, gay marriage was going on, you would hear many uh, conservatives talk about uh, the sanctity of marriage. Um, but none of them could define what would make marriage sacred. Like I got more and more annoyed because they were mm -hmm. destroying that whole notion by just repeating mm -hmm. it because it sounded good. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have he, what Pearson does is he kind of puts an intellectual intellectual credit into our prior notions of culture, civilization, yes. Christianity. So that's part yes. of why some people like him so much. Yeah. Another reason is, in a very real sense, the men are not okay. That okay. there is yep. a deep crisis in our culture of masculinity and femininity, a deep misunderstanding, a deep perversion of it. And he offers a different answer than what most of the world is offering, and that is attractive. Mm -hmm. He's seeing a real problem. Right. Yep. Um, and so that's why... Uh, Many, especially young men, are attracted to the things he's saying. Uh, but it's important yeah. to know that his solutions or his answers, they are not Christian. Right. So these are the problems I have with them. But anyway, let's so, talk about what you want to talk about. Okay. So you're bringing up a lot of good points that I want to, because I think, and this is the thing, why are we engaging with this? Why are we giving them the, the light of day? Because you just acknowledge this. People are listening. Yeah, to him. Absolutely. A lot of people listen to him and and i always have to ask myself why mm -hmm. and I, I was actually talking to my friend about this last time like i you know i don't get it i found the bible lectures boring dull uh overly psychologized uh archetypal archetypal in a bad way um and i'm like we do it way better yeah why are people listening to him though he my friend made a good point that i never really thought about he said, because he's safe. Yes. So what he meant by this was, you're not good. You're going to go to these Bible lectures. You're, you're interested in these questions of meaning and transcendence. But for whatever reason, people have this idea that if I'm going to listen to a Christian about it, they're going to try and save me right away. They're going to try and baptize me. They're going to try and moralize to me about how I need to live my life. Peterson doesn't seem to do that, at least initially. Ironically is, but then they allow him to moralize to them, right? That's the great irony of it all in the end. But I thought I thought that was actually a really good point that he's a, he's a he's a quote unquote searcher just like they are, and so he's like for a lot of people he's just neutral ground. Now here's the problem again: there's no such thing as neutral ground, folks. Yeah. Like I'm sorry, there is no such thing as neutral ground. Everyone's got a narrative that defines their life, and you have to kind of make a choice eventually for one for one what you think is the actual true story that guides life. Um. And so, but you have to ask that question, why? And, and and I agree with you that he, there is a perceived attack on men. And so guys, but again, I, I find his notions of masculinity personally disturbing. In many ways, yes. Sometimes it can be just the way he's received. 
because maybe he's being more nuanced. I don't know. Like I, I've listened to stuff, but I mean, I haven't really paid attention to him for a while. Just this popped up and it really kind of got my, grind my gears. Um, but there's an emotional immaturity in a lot of people who are receiving him. Yes. And so they hear something, but they lack basic mo- not not everyone I, I gotta be careful but like but i just encountered this sufficiently that there lacks a certain basic emotional intelligence on how you need to not think about yourself essentially to give life to give of yourself and so on and so forth and so what happens is there's this twisted machismo that comes out of it mm-hmm. um that i don't think is healthy or actually authentically masculine because at the heart of it he lacks a contemplative stance which is I think not just on a theological level but on a philosophical level where we need to be starting with things and and I think there's a way that so okay he's being more successful at reaching people than we are it seems that we have to receive that judgment as a church because it means we've done let me just we've done apologetics badly I'm going to only partly agree with that. Okay. Um, in some ways, he has been able to reach an audience that we have not been able to because we haven't done mm-hmm. a good enough job at doing what we're good at. I acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But also, um, Joe Olstein has more uh, congregants than I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned about him being safe. Mm-hmm. And yes, he's safe in this certain way that he, people don't see him as a moralizing Christian. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there is a deeper kind of perceived safety. Um, and you see this in his own personal philosophy that you never actually have to answer the question mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you, the, the terrible truth of Jesus Christ, you can always skirt around it. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of approaching the Bible in a psychological way is to neuter the Bible. Right. It's to treat Christianity as an idea, not as a history. And you can ignore ideas. You can't. But is it history? Is it truth? Is Christ real? Right. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And there's a there's a deep fear because to choose or reject Christ means to change your life completely. Yes. And to allow him, again, the truth purifies mm-hmm. Um, and they, cause that was one of the things I noticed about this video. He's asking, he's saying to these young men, it's not about you. Um, and he says like, uh, who care first? I was actually offended that he's just talking to young men. I find, because I think this is the problem. You can't talk about masculinity without simultaneously talking about femininity mm-hmm. and, and you're right. And it's also safe. Sorry. Just one quick thing that popped in my head. Uh, it's also safe because, you can stand against what you like, what he calls like, you know, woke ideology and neo-Marxism and all this stuff. But he never actually engages with it. He just yells at it, mm-hmm. and that creates a, a certain machismo of saying, "Yeah, I'm going to fight against this. I'm going to stand for the truth." But a real manliness is canonic. <laughs> it empties itself to enter into the other to see what is the deeper question. What is the deeper question here? What are you really searching for? You're actually not the enemy. Because you're, or at least you ought, I don't want you to have to remain enemy. I want you to have salvation. Um, So ironically, he talks about this giving of self, if you will, this, this, this self-sacrifice, this embracing of suffering of life. But he does it in such a way 
that is deeply unmanly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All with it's the juvenile. veneer of manliness. It's yes, it's kind of juvenile. Um and he does this because it all, like you said, it all justifies him not having to actually engage with, did Jesus Christ, was Jesus Christ born? Did he suffer and die? And is he God? <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and if he did that, is he the son of God? Okay, but let me, let me give That's him credit on one thing. Yeah. Um, yep. He does affirm that masculinity, even if, he, even if he's incorrect about what masculinity is, he affirms that masculinity mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, and that right. is something that our culture is against—the goodness of what it yeah. means to be male and the goodness of what it means to be female. And right. so, when young people who are very much lost, who have received a lot of messages that they are bad, that they are yep. dangerous, when you have someone who's saying no, who you are is good, that's going to be an attractive mm-hmm. message because there's a lot of truth in it. Right. And so, um, he is—that's one of the ways he's reaching. Uh, his audience and why so many people are, especially young men are attracted to him because he's right. he's noticing a problem and the problem is real yes yes and so um and it's really um how do i put this it's really important that but you can't look at that separated from women so this is yeah. i think this is where i was talking with my friends that this is one of my problems is Okay, there's a crisis of masculinity, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a deeper crisis for women, though, honestly. From this stuff I hear and stuff I've talked to from different women hearing different things, the amount of abuse that happens towards women, and it's just not talked about ever. And it's hidden because these men feel that they're being attacked and their identity what it means to be men. Like, it doesn't have to be one or the other, okay? Yeah. But I feel like... <laughs> this perceived attack on masculinity which is there to an extent around certain things is is not as violent as what happens to a lot of women correct at the hands of men and that doesn't get acknowledged at all mm-hmm. and i think someone in his field ought to be able to know that that's a reality and a problem i i, I he, he does he says a lot of stuff around femininity that i that that, that I haven't, like, so I'm going to hesitate to make a total judgment here because this is more intuitive than researched for now. Mm-hmm. I struggle with a lot of stuff he said around femininity and stuff like this over dif- different things or his overemphasis on masculinity with his neglect without seeing it in a complementary fashion with, with women. Yeah. And so, fine, there's an attack on masculinity, but guess what? The only way masculinity is probably going to be rediscovered is when we tell men to grow up and stop abusing women <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely part of it um I, I think you're right to point out that the the natures of the crisis are different i don't yeah. think so much that masculinity is under attack yeah sure there are some like college professors and people who will attack masculinity and blah 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 i think the real problem in the masculine realm is not being under attack but being lost right there is there's no one teaching men how to be men and the ones that are are doing a really bad job of it that's right. different than the yeah. more of an attack that women go through which also can right. lead to a feeling of being lost and yeah but you do like healing only comes if they are being healed side by side 
Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I just, I feel like there's a deeper threat to women than men. Yes, yeah, so I think that's fair. Yeah, sure. That's my, and I feel like that's just, <laughs> yeah. and I don't, I just, I, it's something I've just becoming more and more, again, as a man, I'm not necessarily aware of these things. Um, but hearing things from different female friends, I'm, I'm shocked and appalled. And it's because we actually haven't challenged men to be real men. You know, there was, which a, is the Christian value. Yeah. No, just yeah. as a, um, there's a YouTube video out that I saw of, um, a guy just holding on his hand to shake the hands of people and all the men would shake his hand. Yes. yes. <laughs> but none of the women I saw would. that too. And, right. um, I think I saw somebody commenting like how women are ridiculous or something like, no, they shouldn't. Like if Indiana grows up, I don't want her shaking some, uh, random dude's hand on the street. Like there is, yeah. there is a real both physical and emotional danger there. Um, and with that video though, yeah. there's also some really disturbing TikTok trends mm-hmm. around men doing handshake stuff yeah. towards women that sexualizes them. And um, I find, and I think that's part of uh, why they're hesitant. They know these TikTok trends. Mm-hmm. They're not touching it because they've been objectified. Yeah. And this is the thing. So it's like, you're right. Like, yeah, you wouldn't want any, and like, and this, but this is the problem. It's like, guys actually aren't seeing the real problem and they don't see how they're the source of the problem. And I feel like Peterson doesn't, I honestly, and again, this is more intuitive right now than argumentative. My intuition is that he feeds this problem in the, in the way he talks about masculinity, etc. Is that fair? I think so. Cause I'm thinking about, I've been yeah over the last, I don't know, four or five years, uh, I've gotten really into, um, a lot of the, uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theory stuff, right. uh, 4chan culture, internet culture, the mass, yeah. w- how that's affecting young men. Um, right. And I like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to mm-hmm. help young men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think you're, cause there is like, when you, <laughs> when you believe you're owed sexual gratification and yeah. you, uh, treat women as objects for that, um, yeah. one that's incredibly violent towards women, but also the person who does that is deeply sick and in need of help as well. See, there's mm-hmm. different, it's different, but there yeah. are problems there as well. Um, yeah. and I think the way like, okay, so there's something good about saying, uh, take ownership of yourself, get up, make your bed in the morning, stand up yeah. straight. There's something yes. very and simple he's right about and that good stuff. about that. Yeah. But if it, but we've been saying that for 2000 years. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but if that's kind of the overall emphasis, yeah, then it becomes using strength in a way to dominate others Yes, and dominate the world around th- you. Yes. Even and if I think, sometimes, and I think, yeah. I was going to say, I think you're right in all of this too, then about, um, um, I think you're right about all this around how he's essentially using Christianity here. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's what I find it, it's, and that's why I'm like, don't people see this? Like, <laughs> don't people understand this? And I, we need to take this seriously, but like, we need to do a better job at proclaiming our, the truth, but we also have to show that true masculinity allows itself to be purified by another mm-hmm. and to be challenged by another who is Jesus Christ, yes. who is the true man. Mm-hmm. And that your image 
of who you are as a man or a woman is only insofar as it's united to him. And that means you have to die to things. Otherwise, these, because otherwise, because, and this is my fear, and this is why I'm like, you actually need to be almost more hypercritical towards, like, this is not the pagan times where, like, this is not pre-Christianity mm-hmm. where people didn't encounter Christ. Christ has been encountered. He's changed everything in history. Yes. Everything. He's touched everything. And so if this is the case, then anybody who's encountered the Christian idea, at least, and refuses it, we should be actually more suspicious. Absolutely. Because they've encountered it and refused it. And thus, any similarity is now has more parasitic elements towards it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like, and I say, like, why aren't people doing this with him? Because he, and now, but at the same time, I do recognize, like, it takes time. Like, it's not like it's right away. Sure. And I'm hoping and praying that he would be allowing himself to be purified by the Christian idea and by Christ himself so that um, we, I want everyone to know Christ, <laughs> including people who I, listen, I know I'm sure there are some Catholics who would be really angry if he became Catholic. And I don't think that's, <laughs> Which would be a I don't, shame I don't think that's, we, we actually want everyone to be Catholic. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. We want people to enter into the fullness of truth in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I want that for him, but he needs to be open to allowing Christ to challenge him and to challenge his preconceived notions. And I feel like that's the problem is he's addressing a desire in the, his listeners, but he's not opening it up to the true sacrifice, which means to allow another to purify you. Instead, he's taking the role of purifier. Yes. His letter to the churches, which I think is very funny because he begins by saying that it's might be presumptuous, uh, but he's going to say it anyways. Like, yeah, this is incredibly presumptuous. Just on a, mm-hmm. just on a, um, uh, level of politeness, like what? Do you, okay, but that aside, that's not the biggest deal. Is that he is telling Christianity to define itself by his terms mm-hmm. or his understanding of their terms, which is not the mm-hmm. same as the actual terms of true Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. And so he talks about like, don't worry about social justice, worry about saving souls. And when a Catholic hears that. It's going to make your brain break a little bit because that doesn't make sense. Right. You, there's there's no dichotomy in that. Mm-hmm. That the notion of exactly justice and social justice and the saving of souls these literally go hand in hand. Yeah. Like, what do you think the saving souls is? Just having nice liturgies? Right. Don't get me wrong. It's not individualized. I, this is cosmic. Yes. And social. Exactly. And don't get me wrong. I love nice liturgies. I love the focus on spirituality, but all of Catholic spirituality always emphasizes the other. Yes, exactly. St. Teresa of Avila, who writes this beautiful treatise on the interior castle and all the mansions and gets into all this stuff. Yeah. When, when she also says when sisters are worried about how holy they are, she says, look and see how they love their neighbor. That's how you can tell how holy someone is. Not by what mansion they're in or think that they're in. So he's, he's, there's a deep misunderstanding of this. And the fact that people might be cheering this on who um, are Christian, like you have a deep misunderstanding of what Christianity is. Exactly, yeah. And it, at the heart of it for me is this receptive stance. Mm-hmm. Um, that Because I think, and we've talked about this before, that the, um, I won't put this, I mentioned it a bit earlier, which is 
we see we have to actually do more. It's like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong response. We need to receive more. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. We're not, we have, we, we lack a contemplative stance, but that's only possible in the encounter with Christ. Yes. And you have to take that question seriously because, and I think, you know, again, seeing that other video was actually gave me a little bit more hope about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, you have to make a decision. And if you don't make the decision, you've actually already made your decision. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point in time where you, that happens, right? Like, you yes. know what I mean? Like it, 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 it uh, it, um, and I can't be the one to judge that per se. Right. I think Christ is the one who can judge right? that. We can, right. we can definitely point out that that is dynamic we that can, happens. Right. And so who and, knows? And there are different, there are things to, to look at, et cetera. But, um, I, cause I've even encountered it with some people who, like him, they start to get, they, lo- they love to play the definition game. Well, I don't know what you mean by this word experience. And I'm like, yes, you do. And if you don't, then you're, and, uh, sorry. <laughs> I almost said something <laughs> you almost really were mean. uncharitable. <laughs> I was almost uncharitable. Then you haven't, then you actually haven't been reasonable enough yeah. about your, about who you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know what experience is, then you haven't reflected enough. Yeah. And that's, that's on you. That's not on me. Mm-hmm. So do the work and stop being lazy. Yeah. Um, and so I want people to like, I, I wanted to do this just briefly. Cause like, and, and, and he has this little weird fideism thing in the video. Well, just go. I don't care what you, who cares what you believe? Well, actually I do. Yeah. Uh, actually, again, that's the utility thing here Yeah. because you'd actually don't understand. So like you actually don't understand Christianity at all. And any, and I feel, I worry when Christians start to use this as a way to promote people to bring in, like, no, no, we're no, promoting no. a false gospel here. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm hesitant towards his project. I, I hope and pray he comes home, mm-hmm. but he needs to, he needs to be open to receiving and he needs, and that can only happen when I think he takes woman, the feminine more seriously. Mm-hmm. It might be out there, but just stuff I've seen, I've not been impressed with. And I don't know if that's possible until he, he can, I don't know if he's going to be able to accept Christ until he accepts that feminine principle more seriously. I think that's fair. I, I've been told I've been told to watch an episode, I guess, with him and his daughter on the Rosary or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have not watched that. So I, I, you know, I only have so much time. So I'm saying this based on what I've been exposed to. Sure. And I um, but I, we need to learn to actually be more critical. It's good to find the good. Yeah. Yes, the stuff around responsibility is good. Mm-hmm. But for the Christian, it's not out of the same fundamental motivation of a utility of a worldview just so I can actually have an ordered life. Yeah. Also, you know, I think it's, and you see this sometimes with public um, people who are grappling with the big questions. It's very hard to allow yourself to be spiritually challenged when there's a lot of people attacking you in the public sphere, right? So Mm -hmm. you can end up building a sort of thick skin to deal with people in public because there's a lot of people that hate this dude's guts. Um, And uh, so you kind of build up a habit of resisting challenge. Yes. Um, And that's, it's so it's, I see this, you know, there's temptation for us. I've seen it with other uh, important or at least relatively famous uh, priests uh, in social Mm -hmm. media and that sort of thing. Uh, you become more and more impervious to true challenge because you're afraid of losing your spot. 
Yes. Well, this, this is a little quick clerical thing on that. You know, it, it's, uh, I was talking to a friend about this the other day and he said he saw a tweet where someone says, you know, priests never say they're sorry. Now, listen, um, I actually think like social media stuff, it's a little bit more complicated sure. because, <laughs> uh, you know, you have to actually have a real personal encounter with someone to, tr- to not just because you say something that might hurt someone doesn't necessarily always mean that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, sure. But sometimes you also require the humility to say, Hey, I was wrong. Yeah. But like I'll just give you a quick experience was, you know, I just before I was leaving for school a couple months ago, um, I had to communicate something to someone and, but I did it at the wrong time and in the wrong place. Yeah. And it came totally unexpected to them. And I could tell I hurt their feelings. It was the right thing to say. Like I had it was something I had to communicate to them, yeah. but I was just stressed out and I had too many things in my head and I needed to blur it out. Cause I had to remember, I, I remember this right now. They're right here. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I hurt them. And I knew that but I, I went away. I came back and I, I reached out to them right away. We met and I said, I just want you to know, I'm really sorry. I, 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 I knew afterwards that what I did was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should have actually even reached out earlier. Um, but I want you to know that I'm really sorry. And and they said, you're the first priest to ever apologize to me for something. Huh. And I'm like, oh, that's sad. It is Because, again, like we were talking about last week, person in office are not the same thing. I feel like I'm apologizing all the time. I screw so much same stuff here. up. Same <laughs> here. I'm freaking Canadian. I say sorry all the time, you know? But it's like, but I think this is the thing. We need that humility. But that's part of, that's that's authentic masculinity right there. Uh-huh. Because it has an element of humility it's Christ-centered, mm-hmm. and it recognizes I am not Christ, and I will never be ideal, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. You see, in the end, for Peterson, because Christianity is a nice idea and not a person rooted in a person in a historical event, he's pushing an ideal that boxes people in of what it means to be human yep. and is actually not, because to be human is actually a lot more dynamic. Here's the beautiful thing. To be human, there is no box Yeah, <laughs> in a way. Because, not in this like fluid when, vague when Christ sense, but in the sense of like reveals humanity there's an endless depth to that exactly 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 there's always a form yeah, right? yeah, yeah. but the content is is infinite mm-hmm. um, that's why the saints are so varied yes and he can't deal with that mm-hmm. and I don't and I think if he can't deal with that we need to hold him to account on that mm-hmm. so we need to be doing a better job of apologetics and engaging with this stuff and being critical so as to draw him to the truth and others to the truth and apologetics means like getting philosophically serious. We deal too much in theology and too much in simplistic apologetics. We don't have enough Catholics who are out there doing f- real secular philosophy in a good sense. Yeah. And we need more of that. I agree. We should shut up because I got to go do some. Okay, go apparently. do some uh, priestly things. So do your, do your, yeah. your spiel. Uh, Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. Uh, You can find me getting ready for my day off. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or emails at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. If you have a theological emergency, call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. And here's the deal, friends. Um, Because we record two episodes at once, we're going to have, like, what, two, three weeks? Until two we weeks. record again, or so, yeah, three weeks to get yeah, okay. um, two weeks ish. Yeah, two weeks until we record yeah, two again. Two weeks. Yeah. We've got some questions. Um, 
the next episode we're going to do, we're going to do a big old um, theological emergency thing. So we're going to try to get to some ones yeah. with past log. Also, Indiana is going to chime in. She's got some answers to some of these questions as well. So it'll be a big old so theological cool. emergency. So get your questions in and we'll do our best to answer them next week. Yeah. Peace. Awesome. God bless.